Hey. <laughs> Hi, everybody. What's up? We're back. I'm Kelsey. For another uh, fun week. I'm Bryn. And this is Crime Cult Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know that by now, then maybe you're a first time listener and starting like in the middle. Which of is the cool. We're yeah. getting better, I think. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. So, should we start with a coffee review, or is any, there anything you want to talk about before we do our coffee review today? Besides um, the chemical burns on our fingers. Oh my god, we have to tell them. <laughs> so, this is this podcast is going to come out later than, or this episode will come out later, but this is our first week of having our new merchandise. Yeah. And we decided to do our shirts, like tie-dye the shirts with bleach and everything, and we didn't wear gloves. In collaboration with Riot Babe, which is my other yeah. baby. Which is so freaking cool. Check out their website, too. But... I've done this so many times. Yeah. So many times, like for years. And this is the first time I've ever gotten straight up chemical burn. We li- literally burnt off our fingertips. Yeah. It's really bad. It looks like a crinkly old lady. Yeah. Brins is like almost bleeding. <laughs> it like, looks like my skin's just going to break off any second. Mine just got really wrinkly. They're actually so wrinkly. And they burn. Like, if you touch anything, they burn. Yeah. And I feel like if I ever committed a crime right now and they wanted to do my fingerprints, they couldn't get no, them. No, absolutely not. I burn them off. And on top of it, it just looks like diseased. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just, and I'm, I mean, I'm not really laughing at that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not laughing at disease, but my finger looks awful. Yeah, it's really bad. So we made some more shirts today and we decided to wear gloves. Brilliant. The light bulb went on. (laughs) And we're fine. Yeah, we're totally fine. No chemical burns. Great. So today's coffee that we're reviewing, do we want to talk about them first or the taste of the coffee first? Good little background. Okay. So we're reviewing Gypsy Soul's coffee house coffee Mm -hmm. they the place that we got it from our look they have two locations i believe but the place that we got this coffee from is in saint pete florida which we love saint pete yeah (laughs) me and carson lived there for a while and this is actually on the road that we lived on and i had no idea and i've never been there so i'm like really excited about this their their place looks really cute and Mm -hmm. the menu looks delicious. I'm literally salivating. <laughs> no, literally I hear her <laughs> sucking it back in her like mouth. Like golfing. Yeah. I'm salivating overlooking at their food on their Instagram. It looks delicious. Like on there's one of the pictures of, on here of a vegan blueberry cheesecake and like I'm literally drooling. Tell everyone so their good. Instagram handle. Yeah so their Instagram handle is Gypsy Soul Coffee St. Pete. Perfect. So make sure you check them out. And another cool thing about them, besides how delicious they're... I'm, like, drooling talking right now, too. We haven't eaten dinner yet, either. (laughs) Um, Besides how delicious their menu looks and how cool their coffee shop looks, the background of their beans, where they get their coffee beans from, is Mm -hmm. also awesome. So I'm going to just read a little blurb from their website. They said, we buy our green beans from importers whose mission it is to build, support, and foster sustainable relationships with our suppliers, customers, communities, and the environment. And so, again, it's a very sustainable company. I don't know how we're getting all these amazing companies, like, Uh, being involved in this. Yeah, Yeah. with actual morals. Yeah. So, another thing I really, really liked is they get 
their coffee from all over the world. Like, oh. the best places to get coffee, pretty much. Like, mm-hmm. they said, our quest is to offer you the world's best coffee from... <laughs> Sorry, I can't talk. <laughs> from all of the coffee-growing regions, including Ethiopia, known as the birthplace of coffee, from other African countries, from Asian countries like Papua New Guinea, and from all over the Americas like Brazil, Colombia, and Costa Rica. I Amazing. love that. It's love so it. global. It is. I and just that. supporting all different types of places and their ability to grow delicious coffee. Beans. Don't they roast in their store, too? Yeah, um, so... They're, they said in their, I think the one was Sarasota, mm-hmm. and then in their St. Pete location, they make everything fresh. They okay. ground and roast the beans fresh there. That's one thing I will say. This is, like, an extremely fresh cup. Like, I feel like it was ground, like, this morning. Yeah. And they yeah. sent it a little while ago. Yeah. It was, it's, it's really good. It's so good. And I think you could real just like we had said with another coffee before, it's very neutral where mm-hmm. I feel like you could add any type of creamer, t- if you're a creamer person, or yeah. you can drink it black, mm-hmm. but you can add any type of creamer to this coffee and it, it would, would still good. taste amazing. Yeah. yeah, this I feel like would also be very good iced. I don't know why. I feel like that's just the vibe I got from mm-hmm. it. Like, I don't know. It's really good. It is. I'm almost actually done with my coffee yeah, already. Yeah, I know. And it's not bitter at all. So for people that don't like creamer and don't like anything to sweeten it up, it's not bitter at no. all. No. And also something that I had said when when you first made it mm-hmm. today, I was like, oh my god, that cup of coffee is so dark. Like It was, it was really such dark. a nice dark Like concentrated. Color. Yeah, and you could tell it was, all the flavor was going to be there. Yeah. So. Yeah, it looks really good. Yeah. So let's to get started. We like it. So far we have not really had a bad cup of coffee. Yeah. Unless it was, well. That Starbucks one. Well, no, that wasn't bad. It was just like. It wasn't eh. good. Yeah. But every <laughs> place that has sent us coffee. I we are get... being completely honest Yeah, here. we have no reason to not be honest. Yeah. So that makes sense. I mean, we've liked every single one so far. Right. And you're going to hear again from this place because they were awesome to send two bags which is amazing. So this is the first bag, and this is the... Um, Let me check, because I'm, I'm thinking... It's not the Kenya one. The Kenya is the no. other one. It is... Uh, Organic Mexico, right? Yes, yes. Organic, Organic Mexico. Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. So that's this week, and then we'll save the other bag for another week, because we want to talk about them again. Yeah, definitely. Really good. So Ready? grab your coffee and have a morning with us. So today we're going to be talking about Stephen Stainer. This case uh, has a lot to it, so just stick with us and we'll get started. Uh, I think I want to start out with the background of Stephen like we do with all of our cases. And I just want to preface that by saying it was extremely hard to find stuff about him prior to what had happened, this event in his life, Mm -hmm. because I feel like the media just kind of took that and ran with it, and that's what they focused on for his life. Yeah. So, just a little... And, I mean, it was a good portion of his life. It was. Yeah. So, but... So, Stephen was born April 18th, 1965, so he was a seven-year-old boy at the time of his disappearance. This would have made him in second grade at the time. He lived at home in Merced, California with his parents named Kay and Delbert Stainer, his older brother, Carrie Stainer, and his three sisters, Jody, Cynthia, and Corey Stainer. 
Their hometown was very close to Yosemite National Park, and his home was actually surrounded by almond groves and peach orchards. I would love to live there. Could you imagine that smell? Do almond trees smell like almonds? <laughs> um, I'm assuming maybe, but I know I'd be walking every day and eating my almonds and my peaches because those are two of my favorite things. Right? That would be amazing. Um, How nice, too, to just have that, like, right in your backyard. That's amazing. He was very close with his brother, Carrie, at the time. They actually shared a room. He was a very happy kid. Um, and you have some more about him. You can yeah, talk about. he was quiet. He was very sweet. They actually told a story, like a mini story about him where he took care of a fallen owl when he was a little boy. Like, so sweet. Which is so sweet and caring. He liked to ride his dad's tractor on their almond ranch. So they had an almond ranch, which so is amazing. Cool. Yeah. I want an almond ranch. And he was freckle-faced, and he actually wrote his name on the inside of a garage wall, which later on was what his family, like, one of their fondest little things that they had left of him that they would go and look at, and they kind of cherished that mm-hmm. he, the simple thing of his name just being written on a wall. He was so. very, like, he, he just seemed like a very innocent, Very adorable little boy. So cute. So cute. I have a picture of him we'll post on our Facebook of when he was little. Yeah. And even, I mean, even later on, he was just yeah. a really cute kid. He's a cute kid. Yeah. So we'll jump to December 4th, 1972. And this is the day that Steven Stainer went missing. Steven's abductor and his abuser was named Kenneth Parnell. And he actually recruited his friend Irvine Murphy to help him kidnap Stephen, which is horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a little bit about Kenneth and yeah. Irving. Sure. So Kenneth Parnell was a middle-aged pedophile, hundred percent. Like that's how you describe the man. Yeah. And he was a master manipulator, and basically anyone that came into contact with him, he just like manipulated. Yeah. To his advantage. He worked at Yosemite Lodge, which was about two hours from the Stainer home. And Irvin Murphy was very trusting, naive. He was described as simple-minded, which is a little bit rude, I think. Yeah. He was, he was, very, he was mentally slow. Mm-hmm. Um, he was convinced that Parnell was a religious leader that God called upon to, I'm going to put in quotations, spiritually guide a young boy. And believed he was going to raise him in a religious type deal. And that was an exact quote from Irvin Murphy. Oh my god. I said Irvin because of our last case. Irvin Murphy. Um, That was a quote from him. Raise him in a religious type deal. That's the impression that he got. Of what they were doing. Of what was going to happen. Yeah. Meanwhile, Kenneth had in his mind that... He's recruiting somebody with, like, lesser mental capacity because he's easier to manipulate. Right. Yeah. And he was pedophile. Right. And we should probably preface this with, again, this might be a little bit of a triggering case because it involves the abuse, rape of a child. So if you don't want to listen any further, we're not getting too... We're not getting in detail with that. That's pretty much, like, the epitome of what we're going to say. Yeah. But it might be a triggering episode for some since it involves a child so yeah yeah. right so like i said steven was seven years old at the time he was walking home from school on highway 140 
when Kevin or Kenneth Parnell and Irvin Murphy in a white van stopped him saying that they were collecting church donations. And they were, like, handing out pamphlets. Right. Irvin said that he was actually the minister of the church. Absolutely disgusting. So, like, yeah. luring him in also with, like, oh, this is a religious thing. Right. Like, and we're, the, we're kind religious people. Right. And a sweet little, the sweet little boy that he was, Stephen was like, you know, I, I, I can't donate, but maybe my mom will. Mm-hmm. So he said maybe, oh, my mom would be interested in donating. Yeah. I want to also point out that a journalist, Sean Flynn, said it was a sleety, wintry day. Yeah. So that's just, just like a little back. About. Yeah. Like kind of picture it in your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he said, you know, maybe my mom will be interested. So Kenneth said, oh, I'll give you a ride home so we can go and talk to your mom. Stephen actually refused the ride multiple times, but Kenneth kept asking, so he eventually agreed to take the ride, and that kind of goes back to the setting. It was probably freezing outside, Mm -hmm. and he was walking home from school. Right, and he was probably like, okay, now I've been standing in this freaking sleet for how long? He was seven years old. He was a baby, and he was probably like, oh, yeah, they'll just take me home to my mom, and then they can ask her about it. And they were driving in Kenneth's white Buick. I don't know if you mentioned that. Yeah, I just said a white van. Okay. Yeah. So, there was one story, and I know you said you read this one as well, but then there was a conflicting, not conflicting, but a different detail with what Stephen actually said. Right, on the car ride home. Right. So, on the car ride home, Kenneth Parnell, one story is that he opened the car door and stopped and went to a payphone, came back, and told Stephen, your parents, I just spoke to them, they no longer want you. Yeah, and another story, and this was from Stephen's interview, actually we'll post a little clip in here in a little bit, but Stephen said that they were going back towards his house and they passed the road that he lived on, and he said to Kenneth and Irvin, you passed my road, And they said, I'll see if I can get your parents to let you stay for the night. Mm -hmm. And then Stephen said that night after night, this is kind of what they kept telling him. Oh, we'll see if your parents will let you stay for another night and another night. Mm -hmm. Until eventually, Kenneth said Mm -hmm. that he came home one day saying that he went to court and got full custody of Stephen because his parents didn't want him anymore. Right. So, Stephen was driven to a cabin and... Sorry, I'm, like, swallowing coffee at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He was driven to a cabin in nearby Kathy's Valley, and Parnell's cabin was, like, very, very remote. Yeah. But this is a weird and very scary fact that I found. His cabin was actually located only several hundred feet from Stephen's maternal grandfather's home. That is sick. So the entire time... Well, in the beginning, that this child was missing, he mm-hmm. was literally walking distance from his grandfather's home. I, that makes me so sick. And I hope, and like, I'm not trying to say this in a bad way, but I hope his grandfather didn't live to hear that detail because yeah. he probably would have beat himself up over that. Yeah. That's just like, when I read it, I was, my stomach churned. Yeah. So, basically, his parents alerted the police right away that he didn't come home from school. As soon as he didn't come home, they were like, okay, this is, like, something's wrong. Obviously, he was seven years old. Yeah, he's a little, little baby. Yeah, and large searches for Stephen took place, but nothing was found. Mm -hmm. 
And meanwhile, Stephen was brainwashed in this remote cabin. Parnell was now his legal guardian with his parents' consent, according to him. Yeah. And according to him as well, he also, like, Parnell would tell Stephen, oh, your parents couldn't afford so many children and they didn't want you anymore. Right. So that was what he was thinking was happening in his little seven-year-old mind. Which is terrible. He didn't even, and in his interviews, you kind of get the hint that, like, he didn't even know he was kidnapped. He really thought that his parents didn't want him anymore, and he believed the adult in the situation. Right. Which was his abductor. Right. I'm just gonna, go ahead. Did you want to add in the thing about Carrie? Yeah. So his older brother, Carrie, I'm just gonna kind of give him little snippets because we're gonna talk about him later. But at the time, Carrie was very upset that his younger brother had disappeared, as any brother would be. But they were extremely close, and he took this really tough... It was a tough time for him. Mm -hmm. Um, A quote from Carrie's childhood (laughs) friend, Michael, said, I heard stories about him going out and wishing on a star that his brother would come home. That is so sickening and yeah. sad. And I think like, they were four years apart, too. Yeah. So. Carrie was 11 when he dis- when um, Stephen disappeared. Yeah. And that just shows, like, the innocence of it all. He, w- he was wishing on a star for his brother. Yeah. Like, I, I can't even put myself in the place of a family that m- somebody goes missing and have to, having to think about that for years and years and yeah. years. So, within the first night, Parnell had molested Stephen and eventually began raping him. Right, and actually a quote from an ABC News article said, Stephen Stainer had a new father figure, and it was Kenneth Parnell, who by day was his father and by night was his rapist. That makes me sick. Yeah. Like, he called this person his father, and then he went home and had to suffer abuse from him every night. That man, pure evil. Pure evil. Like, that's so... Freaking disgusting. To keep somebody from their family. Oh, my God. So, continuing on, for years, Parnell would travel around California with Stephen. They didn't really stay in the same location. For his own purposes. Right. And this included Santa Rosa and Comchi, California. Mm. And those places, I think they had stayed in for, like, a good amount of time, which is why they were probably mentioned before they picked up and left again. Right, and he was enrolled in different schools during this time, too, so he he actually attended a bunch of different schools during the time that he was missing. Yeah, so most of these towns were remote, though, mm-hmm. and they were still living in, like, isolated cabins and stuff, but yeah, he was allowed to go to school. Yeah. And his new name was Dennis Gregory Parnell, so he kept... Stephen's original middle name, because Stephen was Stephen Gregory Stainer. Mm. He kept his middle name, and apparently, I didn't write this down, but apparently he had also kept his birthday the same. Oh my god. When he was enrolling in schools, his birthday was the same. Wow, I wish somebody had, like, picked up on that. that. I know. I know, that's something they should have been putting in the system. Wow. Any new enrollments in your school, I mean... And if you're stupid enough to put his birthday. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So by sixth grade, Stephen had been, like, he was obviously being beaten and everything else we mentioned already. Yep. He smoked marijuana. He got drunk on whiskey. He was allowed to drink and to come and go as he pleased. So basically, Parnell was just letting him do whatever the hell he wanted. And that shows how 
manipulated. He was right. Like he wasn't trying to run. No, he didn't even know he had to run. Right. Like he was so manipulated. Right. And for seven years, Stephen lived publicly as Parnell's son, and was forced to call him dad. Right. And eventually, he went to a high school called I'm gonna say this wrong Mendocino High School. And that's where I think he stayed the longest period of time, Mm -hmm. and that was 300 miles south of his family. So that's how far away he was from his family when he Uh, was in high school. Wow. Yeah. Um, A good memory that he had that he mentioned was at some point, I don't know when this was, he was given a dog that was a Manchester Terrier, and he named it Queenie. Mm. Yeah, and the sickening part to that is that it was actually a dog that... Parnell's mom gave to him and he gave it to Steven but the mom had no idea Steven was even living with him during this whole time during oh this entire time god yeah I have chills yeah wow and then fast forward and I think this is like when he was in oh no no, no. this is still when he was younger so for 18 months a woman named Barbara Ma- Matthias I think her last name is or Matthias Lived with Parnell and Stephen, and I told you earlier, I I hadn't written this down. When I first found out about this case, I fell into a huge rabbit hole with (laughs) it, and I know it was in one of the articles I read, and I couldn't find it Mm -hmm. back, or it was on a, a, maybe it was in Reddit, which maybe it, like, isn't even a reliable source, Yeah. but this Barbara Matthias woman, I remember reading that she was actually the mom of one of Stephen's elementary school friends that he made like Living. one of his like best friends and then if I remember correctly Stephen and Parnell had picked up and moved and then at some point they went back and he was still really close with that kid and then they moved again and in the meantime Parnell and this kid's mother had formed a relationship oh. and the mom moved with them Barbara yeah Barbara moved with them but didn't take the kid who was friends with Steven with them. Oh, okay. Like, he remained with his dad or whatever. Yeah. So, for 18 months, this woman lived with Parnell and Steven, and they both raped him on nine different occasions when he was nine. What? Yeah. First of all, how do you find two fucked up people like that? I guess... How is that, like... How did that happen without... Her being like, okay, I'm gonna go, like, the first time it happened, I'm gonna go fucking call the cops now. And they both did it, and he was fucking nine. Yeah. And, like, this was her son's friend. Do I want to throw up. How do you have a kid the same age that is friends with him and do this? Yeah. I want to throw up. Yeah. Yeah. So, eventually, um, like, later on down the road, when everything comes out about every, like... When this all comes to a head, I'll say, Barbara Matthias claimed, or Matthias, claimed she didn't know Dennis, a.k.a. Stephen, had been kidnapped. So even though she's, like, saying, oh, I didn't know he was kidnapped. But you can rape him. You're raping him. Whether he's kidnapped or not. And watching Kenneth rape him, too. Yeah. Probably. And whether he's kidnapped or not. Oh, so you were doing this thinking he was his son and that made it better? Like, what the fuck? Kind people of are people. so fucked up. Yeah. So. I just want to talk about real quick. I told you we were going to put in snippets of Carrie, his older brother, in here. Stephen's older brother. At this time, at the time that 
Stephen was in high school, the 300 miles away. His brother, Carrie, was in also in school, and he was an upperclassman at the time in their hometown of Merced. He was a cartoonist. He was voted most creative, and fun. he had um, a problem with he would he would compulsively pull his hair out and that's why he wore a cap all the time um fun fact that's called trichotillomania carrie had a rough time emotionally when he was a child all the way up until he was in when he was in high school and he actually exposed himself to one of his sister's friends which is fucking weird he's clearly going through something yeah an abc article also mentions that It seems as though he had a compulsion with trying to get close to women or be sexual with them, but he was unable to develop any sort of interpersonal relationship with any women, which Mm -hmm. is gross. And then another quote says, You have one brother who's been subjected to just unspeakable horror for years, but by all appearances, he's happy-go-lucky, jovial kid with a girlfriend. And then you have another brother who's left at home, had no no interest in girls, had no interest in people... And it wasn't that he was just a loner, but a bit of a creepy loner. Hmm. That's interesting. Right. And to go back to uh, Steven's girlfriend at the time, her name was Lori Duke. This was his high school girlfriend. And she knew him by the name of Dennis. She did not know he was kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Um, she said that he had a great personality. He was spunky. And you can see that he wanted to play and be with the kids and just be a normal kid. He was, like, very well-liked. Yeah. By people when he was in this situation. Right. Um, so eventually Stephen was, I'm gonna say, well, this is the horrible way they referred to it, and I I don't really know how else to put it. He was, like, aging Aging out, out, which is, like, disgusting, of Parnell's interest, and he, he was rebelling. He wasn't going to be able to be controlled by Parnell anymore, basically. He was kind of just like, "Mm, nah, fuck that. Right. He was 14 at the time. Right. So it's not like he was a little kid that he could just push around anymore. And Parnell... So Parnell obviously was trying to find another little boy to kidnap and basically put in the same situation as Steven was. So, he first tried to have Barbara Mathias abduct another little boy in 1975. She tried to lure him into Parnell's car, and he was actually in the Santa Rosa Boys Club with Steven. So, this is someone Steven knew. That's disgusting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And this was unsuccessful. And then he tried to force Steven to attempt kidnappings, which were all unsuccessful, he thought Steven lacked the means to be, like, an accomplice with him. He was just like, oh, this kid can't, can't do this. Yeah. But really, Steven was intentionally sabotaging the kidnappings, which is him. amazing. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. And so then Parnell bribed one of Steven's teenage classmates, Sean Poorman, and I had read somewhere else, Randall yeah, Sean Poorman. So I guess maybe Sean was his middle name, but he went by Sean, which yeah. I, I've known people who have done that. Right. So Sean Poorman, he bribed him with drugs and cash and Sean tried to back out, but then he was threatened. So yeah. he had to try to go through with it. He told him if he didn't keep quiet about what was going on, he would come after him and his family. Yeah. So that shows the manipulation and he was 14 years old. Like, yeah, he's probably terrified. Right. So he convinced him to drive with him to Ukiah, California to find another little boy. 
This was February 14th, 1980. Mm-hmm. Valentine's Day, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Five-year-old Timothy White was walking home from school, and Poorman suggested that he needed help with his car, and it was broken down, and he actually stopped Timothy White and asked him to hold his tire valve stem. White later admitted that he was pulled into his car where Poorman gave him juice, sleeping pills, and then covered him with a blanket in the back seat. And again, this little boy was the cutest freaking little thing. So cute. So cute. Yeah. So cute. Not that that, like, changes anything. No. But, like, he was but, so like, So, and so, in it, like, what I'm, more so what I'm trying to get a, across besides cute is innocent. Like, yeah. he was so little. He was, he was a baby. sweet and little and innocent. He was five. five. years old. <laughs> yeah. So sad. Which is horrible. So, two weeks bu- went by, and Stephen watched Timothy missing his family. Stephen became really attached to Timothy, which yeah. is so sweet. He was really looking out for him and making sure that he was... Yeah, same. He was making sure that he was in good hands, kind of. Yeah. As best as he could be around Parnell. And he didn't want him to endure what he did. Right. So, on the 16th day of Timothy being captured, which was March 1st, 1980, Stephen waited until Parnell went to work. I think he worked an overnight shift or something. Yeah, he worked night security. Yeah. So... Stephen took Timothy with him, and they hitchhiked for four miles to Ukiah, Cal- 40. 40, sorry, to Ukiah, California. 40 miles. Yeah. And Stephen, keep in mind, Stephen's 14 at this point. Yeah, it's not like okay. he's, a, he's a grown adult. Yeah, this. and this little boy's five, and I had read in an article that he had to carry him at some point. Oh, my God. So he's just, like, carrying this little boy through what I assume... Is probably a lot of wilderness. Yeah. I mean, they hitchhiked, too. Yeah. I would love to hear from the person that picked them up at some point. Oh, my God. Like, what the fuck are you doing in the middle of the night with a These five-year-old? These two little boys. Yeah. yeah. Ugh, crazy. So, Timothy didn't know where his house was, because obviously he's five years old. And it was dark. Right. And so, Stephen, and obviously Stephen didn't know but where, he, where lived. he lived. So, that's also why Stephen took... Decided to go to Ukiah uh, or Ukiah, however you pronounce it, know. California. <laughs> Why he decided to go there? Because he knew Timothy was from there. Yeah. So he's like, okay, this is like a starting point. We'll get you home yeah. first. So since he didn't know where his house was, Stephen took Timmy to the police station, which yeah. is so smart. Right. He told the police what had happened to both of them. And then his infamous quote was, I know my first name is Stephen. Which later they turned into the title of a book and a television movie. Mm-hmm. I want to point out too that first Stephen had Timmy walk to the police station without him to ask for help. Why? He like made him go ahead. Aww. And then the police came out and saw both of them. Because if I remember correctly too, this is also from the article that I couldn't find. There was, they saw the little boy come up to the door and then go away, because I guess he went back to Steven and was like, come oh. with me. And they were like, why did this kid just walk up to the door and walk away? So they went outside, and they saw both of them, and they made them both come wow. over to them. Yeah. And Thank then, God. Yeah. And then, because I don't know if he was planning on going back, or... He probably didn't... He Like, again, he doesn't think he's he was kidnapped. Right. Or he's like, what am I going to do now? Right. Or he was just... Maybe he was going to go, and he was kind of scared at first, you yeah. know? Right. And... 
Yeah, so that's why he identified Timmy first, and then he said the, I know my first name is Steven. Right. And not, just to mention, we'll talk about this later, the book in the television movie, he actually received $30,000 eventually for the rights to his story. Mm-hmm. This is kind of what Which we were talking enough, about. Money. I know. What made him, like, quote-unquote famous with the media. That's what he got, $30,000. Right. So, after he told the police what happened to him and Timothy, I actually have a quote from Stephen. Okay. I was not going to let that child go through what I had already been through, and if I didn't take care of it now, it would just get worse. Oh my god. That's so nice. Like, Like, what? That's... With all the horrors he'd been through, how do you even think with that mindset? I don't know. And have the strength to do what he did? I don't know. Like, what a brave Thank little boy. Thank God he had the strength or they both would have been there. Right. For longer. Right. And who knows what, like, I hate to go down this road, but who knows what Parnell's plans were once he got, once he, the they weren't u- useful in quotations right. to him anymore. Was he going to still keep him as a son? Right. Or, like, what was he going to do with right. him? So, March 2nd, 1980, which was the next day. Kenneth Parnell was arrested on suspicion of kidnapping for both of the boys. And in 1981, when they actually went to court, Stephen had to testify against Kenneth Parnell. He had to look him in the eye and identify him as the man that kidnapped and did all this horrible stuff to him. Mm. Parnell was convicted on kidnapping and false imprisonment charges, but not sexual abuse. Right. Which blows my fucking mind. And it was because outside... It was either outside the jurisdiction or outside the statute of limitations, which there should be no fucking statute of limitations. I'm sorry. And he was sentenced to seven years and served five of them. Five years, which was two years less than how long he kept Stephen away from his parents. That's disgusting. Five years. He was released in 1985. Yeah, and he was actually um, tried and convicted in two separate trials. Like, they had a trial... For Stephen and a trial for Timmy. For Timmy. And that's how long he was in fucking jail for. Yeah. That's disgusting. Like, that makes me something sick. was wrong in the system with that one. Yeah. I feel like... By the end of this story, everyone's probably gonna agree. I feel like Stephen got the short end of the stick with Through fucking all of it. everything. Yeah. Everything. Like, this poor child. Yeah, I agree. And I actually have a quote from when he was on Good Morning America in 1980 before we, like, keep moving forward with the dates. So, he obviously became a national hero. Everyone was so amazed by him because of not only what he had been through and what he survived, but what he did for Timmy. And on Good Good Morning America in March of 1980, Stephen said it felt great to be home said his parents didn't change that much, but his brothers and sisters, quote, they changed a lot. I never recognized either one of them. Yeah, I saw that one too. Which is so sad, like... Right. That much time has passed, you didn't even recognize your siblings... Yeah. ...when you saw them. And speaking of Good Morning America, here's the clip that we talked about earlier of Stephen's interview from right after he had escaped. Thank you, you. Stephen... To, to police and and your parents, uh, you, obviously you just disappeared off the face of the map. What happened that afternoon? Do you remember when you were walking home from school? Uh, yes, um, I was walking home from school, and I was stopped by 
a man along the street just a few blocks from my house, and he um, asked me if I wanted to, me or my my mother wanted to donate something to a church, and I had told him that uh, my mother would probably want to, and so he offered me a ride home. I had um, refused the first time telling him that uh, my house is just a few blocks away, and he had asked me several more times, and after a while I had taken a ride. And then uh, a car pulled up, and I got in, and they they passed the road that I was that I lived on, and I had told them that that was the road I lived on. They said that we'll just uh, call your parents see if you can stay the night. Were you afraid? Uh, not that much. I was. A little bit. What what did they tell you as the days went on? Why why they were keeping you with them, and what did they tell you about your family? Well, the first night they had said they called my parents and said it was all right that I stayed the night. The second night they said that they had called them again and said they, that I could stay another night. Then one of them went to. Uh, went out and came back and said that he went to court and he got in possession of me and said that I was his. How did you feel about that when you heard that? Um, I really forgotten what I felt that at that time. It was kind of a shock to me. You called him, I'm, I've been told that you called him dad. How long before you started calling him dad? Do you have any idea when that started? Um, that started about a week after my abduction. What were your thoughts during the seven years about your parents? Did you think about them? And if so, what, what went through your mind? Um, through the seven years, I don't remember what went through my mind, but I thought of my parents very often. Mr. Stainer, did you have any doubts during those seven years that you'd see your Stephen again? Well, I had a lot of hope up to two years ago. Uh, there was a few things that came up that I kind of, I kind of lost a little, my hope and faith in it, and, but uh, I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, Mrs. Stainer, did you share his, his hope for that period and then lose it at any point, or what happened with your well, mind? I, I never did lose my hope that I would find Steve. I didn't get into all the things that uh, Dell did. I was. Uh, oblivious to all that kind of stuff. I just went merrily on my way believing that Stephen would be home one day. Oh my god, that's so happy and so sad somehow at the same time. Yeah. There was actually also a press conference held outside of the Stainer home and everyone was obviously so happy that Stephen was back and you can see in the background his brother Carrie, who was in a baseball cap, was standing there kind of stoic and not smiling at all which again will kind of come into play later on. Right. So Irvin Murphy, the man who, if everyone has been following along, was in the beginning and helped lure Stephen with Parnell. Right, he said he was the minister of the church. Yeah, he served two years of a five-year sentence. Released in 1983. Yeah, not much better. That's disgusting. But Stephen kind of 
I, Stephen believes he was a victim as well. This is how, right. how incredible this little boy is. He said, he referred to him as Uncle Murphy because that's what he was, I guess, calling him. He said oh. he, he said he was there for the first week and then he was gone, but he said that Uncle Murphy was really nice to him the whole time and like. He had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. And he was, he also believed he was a victim of Parnell's manipulation and he I was agree. just basically like, it's a, it's, it's okay with with him. Yeah, I agree. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. And Murphy cla- claimed to know nothing of the abuse. And then Sean Poorman went to juvie. Yeah. That's all that happened to him. But again, he was a victim in a way as well. He was manipulated by Parnell. And I, I love, this reminded me of Herbal from our episode, I think that was the episode cult. four. Yeah. The cult episode. He had everyone else do his bidding and Mm -hmm. everyone else do all these things. And then he, I mean, he was the worst of them all because he clearly had the children and and was awful to Steven. But he had everyone else carrying out the acts of the kidnapping and shit for him. Right. Poorman, actually, there was a later court date about 20 years later. And Poorman was actually talking with Timothy White because if you remember, he was the person that helped kidnap Timothy White, five mm-hmm. year old, five years old. They were talking and they actually hugged and Timothy forgave Poorman. Yeah, I read that. That's so amazing. Yeah. But yeah, he was in juvie for a short period of time. Barbara Mathias, the evil fucking woman that was also involved in horrible acts to a child, Mm -hmm. was never charged with anything. Disgusting. Yep. And then after Parnell was released, he was also caught in a 2004 sting operation because he could, he obviously was the type of person that was going to continue his fucking crimes. You don't, nothing. Yeah. You don't put someone in jail for five years. That's a pedophile that has kidnapped a child for seven and let them out. He kept doing things in between, but he was caught in this 2004 sting operation trying to buy a four-year-old online. Yep. And he went to prison and then died a few years later in 2008. Yeah, he should have, he should have endured a lot fucking more than he did. Yeah. He got off so easy what for everything he did. What a disgusting fucking human being. Yeah, he's gross. So want to move on to life after for Stephen and Timothy? <sighs> Yeah, let me just talk about Carrie here for a second. So after Stephen's return, like I said, at the press conference, Carrie was very stoic. They did not get along well at all. They fought. They ended up having to share a room again. And remember, Stephen wasn't expected to follow any of these rules that now he's brought back into a family situation and a family system, and he's expected to now follow all these rules. Mm-hmm. So him and Carrie fought a lot. Um, he had a really rough time readjusting. Yeah, he did. He was actually bullied in high school, um, for the abuse that he had gone through because it was homosexual in nature. Yeah. Which is disgusting that he was abused or he was bullied for that. Yeah. His sexuality was like constantly under attack. Right. And his parents at the time said that they felt that he didn't need counseling and they felt that he had made a full recovery. Stephen once said, quote, why pay a psychologist $100 an hour to sit and talk about a problem when I've been talking to reporters for nine years? It's a good substitute. End quote. Yeah, but going, I mean, 
I think that also was partially, obviously I don't know his dad in the situation, but I think that was partially a child repeating what they hear their parents saying Mm -hmm. because Steven's sister had mentioned that their dad had said he didn't need any counseling. Right. So he was probably just like repeating. Yeah, or he's like, or he's thinking, oh, my parents don't think I need it. I'm not going to, like, force them to get me counseling, you know. Right. But, he, and and going back, to, before we move forward, but going back to the kids bullying him for abuse. Yeah. What the fuck like kind of was, children do that to someone who was kidnapped and t- abused and tortured and stuff for seven years? Like, how do you, how do you bully someone about that? I don't know. In the movie that they made, I watched a short clip. There's, like, a horrible locker scene where there's, um, I don't know if this is regarding his life, if it's true or not, but there was a locker scene where they, like, all his peers made fun of him because they were in a locker room with other people naked and he, they were bullying him for it. It was horrible. I really hope that didn't happen. I really hope it was just in the remake of the movie because it was terrible. you know someone went through that and not by choice. How do you not grasp as a teenager, what fucking rape is. Right. And make some fun of someone for that. It's horrible. That's... When I read that, I was so disgusted. I, wanna, I was like, I want to reprimand all these fucking children because right? my, like, mama bear teacher mode came out because when kids... I mean, bullying situations, I do not do well with bullying. And mm-hmm. anytime, especially since, like, I taught special needs, so... Anytime someone made the slightest comment to my kids, yeah. I was like, hell no. Yeah. And in the nicest way possible that you can as a teacher, I'd be like, oh, no, 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 and would reprimand them. How do you... Yeah. How do you raise shit kids like yeah. that? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's disgusting. That's so disgusting. Right. And at first, Stephen actually loved the press and the attention because he was looked at as a hero. But after years and years of the press asking the same fucking questions and not letting him live his life, obviously he got sick of it and he wished it would just all end. Like, he needs to move on at some point. Mm-hmm. And it just kept going on. Yeah. I actually have a qu- another quote from Good Morning America in 1983. He said, The first year was kind of hectic. For seven years I have been supposedly an only child. Now I had to compete with a brother and three sisters. Right. So and that's he- the feeling he's getting in his, like, little teenage mind. Right. It's crazy. And this actually broke my heart reading this because you have to be obviously needing counseling if you're thinking this type of thing. He said, this was years after he returned home, quote, everything has changed. Sometimes I blame myself. I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to read. Sometimes I blame myself. I don't know sometimes if I should have come home. Would I have been better off if I didn't? End quote. Yeah. Which like, if you think about it, like, obviously I wouldn't, I don't know where his mind was with the abuse and everything. It's it's a terrible thing to go through. But he comes home and he's completely disoriented and now his life is his abuse. Nobody will let it go. Right. And he, I had read that he never really even talked about the abuse fully to his parents or yeah. to anyone, to his girlfriend, nothing. Like, right. he kind like of just kept it his parents didn't bring in. it up. Yeah. And I had read another quote. This is, and I'm, I don't know it off the top of my head, but he said something like, 
basically before all of this his dad would hug him all the time and his dad like never hugged him anymore so something obviously changed like what changed but dad's mind right but i'm sorry also everyone's different but if my kid went missing for seven years i'd be hugging them every fucking second i could Mm -hmm. but maybe as well maybe his dad the way he was coping it was like too painful for him right you know but steven as a child didn't realize it that way and just wanted like the love from his parents yeah it's just so sad but he eventually began to drink frequently he dropped out of school and he was kicked out of the family home which i think is so awful like you've been waiting he was yeah you've been waiting seven years for your child to come home not knowing if they would ever come home not knowing if they were dead somewhere and now you're kicking them out of your home but apparently he was like that unruly with basically not wanting to be told what to do what to do because he didn't grow up that way right he had no rules growing up had a lot of issues in school after this and just remember, like, before this and before he was, he went back home, he was doing great in school. And right. That's probably what was going through his mind, too. Yeah, and he was, like, well-liked, and now yeah. he's being made fun of and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he ended up having a really strained relationship with his father, yeah. which I think continued for the majority of his life, if yeah. not the rest of his life. Right. Um, in 1985, Stephen married 17-year-old Jody Edmondson and had two children, one girl and one boy. He studied welding at Merced College, but nothing really came of that. He kind of just put that on the wayside. Um, entering his early 20s, he began living a more stable life, which I'm so proud of him that he was able to finally be enjoying life. Right. He was actually working multiple jobs at the time to make ends meet with his wife. Mm-hmm. And he started feeling very accomplished with his work at the time. Yeah. I think I read somewhere that he owned or he worked for different franchises of Pizza Hut. Mm-hmm. And he was doing really well with it. Like, he was getting the hang of it. Yeah. And this was his early 20s. He was also training to become a security officer, which I right. thought was amazing. Like, going into that profession after... The things that you've been through. Right, and he gave warning lectures to kids at school about kidnapping and abductors and all that stuff. Yeah, he was volunteering to help others and trying to help other children through traumas and basically, like, personal... He was warning them about personal safety and just trying to be a real advocate for that kind of stuff. And he had also joined a church. Right. Which I think, I mean... Not, I mean, I'm a very spiritual person, more so than religious, but that is definitely a good guide. Like him him turning to something like that to help him, you know? He was definitely trying to better himself and make a difference in the world, I feel. Yeah. Do you have anything else uh, before? Uh, Just that he was living in Merced and working at a pizza shop. Yeah. So, sadly, on September 16th, 1989, Stephen Stainer was riding a motorcycle and he got into a co- he got into an accident at age 24 on Santa Fe, Santa Fe Drive at 5.35 p.m. and he unfortunately passed away from the accident. Well, I have that 4.55 p.m. was the accident. He was declared dead at 5.35. Right. Yeah. Right. He didn't have a license to drive the motorcycle. 
He wasn't wearing a helmet, and he actually stole the bike from a friend two months prior to this. Um, what I found really sad was his helmet. <clears throat> the reason he wasn't wearing a helmet, it was actually stolen days before. Mm. Wow. Which... That's horrible, and that would have saved his life. He died from a skull fracture. Yeah. Which, how it is... Like I said... Th- things just did not... They didn't line up for him. Line up for him for some reason, like... And to make it even worse, the driver of the other vehicle fled the scene. Yeah, it was a hit and run. Yeah. And the driver later surrendered in Tijuana, but mm-hmm. was... And was returned and arraigned on a felony hit and run and manslaughter charges, but he was punished with three months in jail and a $100 fine. Oh my god. Again... No justice was ser- served for no, Steven Stainer. Absolutely he not. He was America's hero, but he wasn't he got given shit. that. He, got he wasn't shit. given that. Like, I'm sure he would have rather, instead of being thrown on fucking TV stuff, just lived in had people life. had people pay for the things they did. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, oh god, it makes me so angry. It makes me so angry. Four hundred and fifty people attended his funeral which is amazing, and three of the people that attended were Timothy White, who was 14 at the time, and his parents, Angie and James White. Yeah, Stephen and Timmy had actually remained close, which I think is so amazing. I do too. And 14-year-old Timmy was a pallbearer at Stephen's funeral, so he helped carry his casket. That's like such, that's like full circle shit. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. That's horrible. Um, that's pretty much the end of what happened with Steven, but we can talk a little about life after for Timmy, and then... I just have a quick quote from, in 1999, Steven's wife, Jody said, he was proud of who he was. He was very well-grounded for a person that had gone through what he had gone through. So he was, his life was finally looking up, and then he died, which is, like, it just, it's sickening. I had also read, which was really sad, the pizza place he was working at, Either the manager there or his boss or another employee, I forget, had said that night to him because it was raining outside and they knew he was about to get on a bike. Mm-hmm. And they said to him, oh, oh you can take take the, truck. take the pizza car. He yeah. had the pizza place car. And he had had his license suspended at that point. So he was like, no, 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 that won't be a good look if I'm like, if something happens and yeah. I get pulled over in this car and I don't, I, my, my license is suspended. And that would have saved his life. Yeah. More than likely. Yeah. Um, real quick, too, before we move on to Timothy. Right a- shortly after Stephen died, his uncle, who was named James, he was shot and killed in his home. And they actually ruled it a homicide, and it still remains unsolved to this day what had happened. But this uncle, Jerry, or James, they called him yeah. Jerry... Um, he actually was very close with Stephen's older brother, Carrie, and he lived with him at the time. Yeah. So this really affected Carrie. There were, this was, um, 15 months after Stephen's death Mm -hmm. on December, in December of 1990, but there were also rumors that, and I don't know how, how true this is because it comes from Carrie's mouth, so it could be true, could be not. Mm -hmm. He claims that Uncle Jerry molested him. Right. So we don't know if he actually was just close to this uncle or if now he's saying this or if that actually did happen and that contributed to things later down the road. Right. He actually had a couple of nervous breakdowns after his uncle died. 
He attempted suicide. He became addicted to drugs. In a 1999 article, Carrie's friend Mark said, quote, he stated he felt like jumping in a truck, driving through the shop and killing the boss and killing everybody inside the office and then torching the place, end quote. That's when I told him, you need to go to a doctor, Carrie. Yeah, I feel like the death of Steven and the death of Jerry probably just, like, loosened some more screws. Overboard. Already. I mean, there was al- he was already obviously struggling for a majority of his life, and then this just, like, pushed him over the edge. Right. So, we'll jump back to Timmy, and then we'll jump back to Carrie. Yeah. Okay, so Timmy, life after for Timmy, basically, you had mentioned he testified in trial at age six, and in this trial, he said he was allowed to play outside. He spent some time sliding down a hill during the two weeks he was in (sighs) captivity, and things basically went back to normal for Timmy. He didn't have to recover from abuse like Stephen did, so he kind of just flowed back into his normal life. And he was only gone for 16 days. Yeah. And like you said, like, he forgave Sean Poorman later on down the road. So he got that. That was probably one of the only things that... Like, bothering Was burdening. Yeah. He ended up becoming a deputy sheriff, a Los Angeles County deputy sheriff. And he also spoke out against child sexual abuse, just like Stephen did. Right. Which is crazy that they kind of followed the same path. Because Stephen was going to become... The security Yeah. He was training to go into security. Yeah. He, Timmy went into becoming a sheriff. They both were advocates for child abuse and, like, putting an end to things. It is weird how kind of it both worked out to be the same way. Yeah. So much so. Yeah. And then Timothy ended up marrying a wife, Dina, and also had two kids. Yeah. Which is crazy. Very weird coincidence. Yeah. And he actually helped put away Parnell the second time. He went and testified, and I also read that they used Stephen's previous testimony from when he was younger. Mm. They read that out loud during Parnell's second trial as well. Oh, okay. So, Stephen technically testified during that as well. Yeah. And then... Tragically, he passed away... April 1st, 2010, at the age of 35 from a pulmonary embolism. Which, why couldn't these boys get a break? I don't know. Like, I I've all, I don't know. Of all people in this story, like, both of them should have gone on to live lives that they deserved. And they both died so young. 35 and 24 years old. Yeah. And Stephen, when he died, he had only been out of captivity for... 10 years. Yeah. That's awful. Mm-hmm. And then this little boy, just at such a young age to pass away, that's just... 35 of a pulmonary embolism. And from what I looked at pictures, he looked like to be a very healthy person. I mean, he was a police officer. That makes <clears throat> me sick. Right. Yeah, if you guys couldn't tell, this isn't the happiest. I mean, it's, it's a good thing that they both escaped... And both were able to not be in the grasp of that monster. But right. at the same time, they they did not get what they, like, deserved. Like, they no. should have had more than this. Yeah. I mean, they both did go on to also help spread awareness for 
abduction and kidnapping and to little kids and help them learn what to do and what not to do. Which obviously which was, was a great purpose. Right. Yeah. And I'm sure very fulfilling. Right. So now, do you have anything else to add or do you want to move on to Carrie? I'm ready. Okay. So I bet you've been wondering why we've been talking about Carrie's life story. Which again is Stephen's older brother. Right. Oh, where to start? <laughs> where to fucking start? You thought this story was crazy. Yeah, it, there's more. So at the time, Carrie Stainer had finished high school and he was described as feeling lost. He didn't really have a purpose. He didn't know what he was doing. He actually often went to Yosemite to be naked and get high so he could feel at peace. <laughs> Which, like... So he would just, like, lay his naked body on the ground in this park. Right. In this national park. And, like, swim through the waters. And wasn't he... He was working there. Yeah, he worked there. Was he naked while working there? I don't know. You have to, you have to ask him. <laughs> okay, I'll, <laughs> I'll write in to him. That will be work my, naked That'll be my job. one letter... To this man, <laughs> I'm sure I could find his ad- address, and you guys will hear why. Will you but... make it on the clock? <laughs> yeah, I'll just be right. I'll write into him. Were you naked <laughs> <laughs> while you were crime colts and coffee? That's it. So he was a handyman at the Cedar Lodge, which was actually seven miles from the gate entrance of the national park. He was able to feel at peace again at his favorite place of Yosemite. So I bet you he did go naked on the job. But, I don't know. Let's weird. keep going. <laughs> just, just weird. So, I jump into the craziness. Do you have anything before that? Uh, yeah. Um, I have, just to add, he admitted to fantasizing about killing women since he was younger. Good. And this, in- this includes, according to him, includes before... Stephen went missing. Ew. So. He was fucked up from the beginning. Part, well, it's weird because part of the time he blames Stephen's disappearance and that his parents were more focused on that than him and do 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 And then part of the time he says, oh no, I was having these thoughts before that even happened. I think he was. So, I think he was fucked up for a long time. Yeah, but clearly there's people that could be fucked up in the world or be suffering from something, mm-hmm. right? And not in a bad way. Um, like, obviously, we're mental health advocates. Yeah. Suffering, okay, mentally. But there are people who do horrible things with that, and there are people who don't act right. on it. Or don't, these thoughts don't escalate into something else, you know? And yeah. I feel like all the trauma that was endured in this family probably did add to the way and the direction it went. Right. So. So this is the direction. (laughs) Yeah, this is the direction. Onward. The bad one. Yeah. Not the good road. Yeah. So in February of 1999, Carol Sund, her teenage daughter, Julie Sund, and Julie's friend, Sylvina Peloso, decided they wanted to stay a night at Yosemite Park. Mm. Remember, Carrie Stainer was working there. At the time, he went to their room and said that he needed to fix a leak. Because he was a maintenance guy there. Right. He was so a handyman. He, he convinced them that he had there was a problem. He had to come and fix it. Mm-hmm. He then sexually assaulted both girls and murdered all three of the women. 
It's fucking awful. Yeah. And, like, how? How? As a human being, do you know your little brother endured that for seven years of his life? And you did that. And you go and do the same fucking thing, but worse. Well, not worse. I'm not going to categorize it as worse, but... And then murder those people. Right. How do you fucking go down that road when your brother endured something the what like what he did right and we're not gonna get in too much detail of this portion of the story because we really wanted this episode to be about steven right but like we couldn't say we couldn't talk about this case without talking about this because this is just fucking crazy that this happened after the fact yeah and that this steven's story he was like a missing child that became a national figure because of his him being found and being okay and being alive and then Years down the road, the other brother... Right. ...turns out to be a fucking murderer. The Yosemite killer. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. So he killed these Serial three women. Killer. And Jeff Rennick, which was an FBI agent at the time, said that the largest search ever was mounted for these missing women in the park. And several weeks later, all three bodies were discovered. Yeah. And then he also... Well... I think five months had passed. Five months later. Yeah. Five months had passed. People thought that things had calmed down, and they they kind of were like, yeah, oh, this must have been someone who was just passing through the park and did this. Right, and they were kind of put at ease, too, because the FBI took somebody into custody, but it was the wrong man. Apparently, they had also questioned Carrie at first, but ruled him out because they're like, oh, no, like, this doesn't really make sense. Right. They said they didn't see any red flags yeah. while interviewing him. Yeah, and I'm sure part of that was knowing he was Steven Stainer's brother as well. Right, right. And then 26-year-old Joey Armstrong came along. She actually worked at the park as well. Yeah. And had a cabin that she stayed in there. Right. And he saw her and his... He just became obsessed and found the need to murder her as well. Yeah. So her friends reported her missing to the police when... So the police went to their cabin, her cabin, and found signs of struggle. They actually located Joey's body about a half a mile away from her cabin, and she was decapitated. Oh, my God. So, basically, he was convicted in 1999 of killing these four women in Yosemite National Park, and when he had been arrested for Joey Armstrong, he basically said right away that he wanted a movie made about his story after he confessed to everything. Right. and it, Just like his brother. Like, fucking disgusting. And at first, they were searching for him, not because they suspected him as a part of the killing, yeah. but they thought that he would have been a witness to the murder. So right, because he worked there. Yeah. Right. And they found him, actually, in a nudist colony, which was not very far. And, let's see, really have that Well, in and there were also comments made that his car was seen leaving that area around that of time. Of cabin. Yeah. Yeah. So they found him, he fled to a nudist colony, he was brought in for questioning, and that's when he confessed to murdering Joey Armstrong. And he described the killing as if he was reading a soup label, which is what an FBI agent on the case said. 
So I don't know. I guess that means that it like was very systematic and nonchalant. And, right. Like, oh yeah. These are. Yeah. Like, this is what happened. What a fucking disgusting. Yeah. He then also confessed to murdering Carol and Julie Sund and Silvi- Silvina Peloso. Oh my god. His actual quote, and this is like going back to what you said, is oh you said I want I want you to get a hold of some of the producers in Los Angeles. I want a movie of the week made about my story. Yeah. So clearly he, we're also not going into too much detail with him as well. Like we're not doing this story on him because just like a person from our week five case. Yeah. Clearly a lot of this was done for the attention and the fame of it. And he probably was jealous of the attention Stephen had gotten when he was returned. But he, a clear minded human being would realize Wow, my brother deserves this attention. He's been abducted and kidnapped for seven years and got him and another little boy out. Not, oh, um, my brother murdered someone and he deserves fame and glory. Right. Meanwhile, he just wanted the attention for that and it's disgusting. Yeah. So, he was sentenced to death in 2002 and remains on death row in San Quentin, which is why I said... I could probably find out where, where I could send that letter asking if he was in a nudist, nudist colony. Right. So, wait. They don't have the death penalty anymore where he's he's located in prison is in what San I read. In San Quentin? That's what I read. Oh. So, then he's just going to be sitting there for life. I don't know. I didn't get that far into it. But, yeah, he was convicted of four, four counts of first-degree murder. But he still remains on death row, which is crazy. Their poor family. I know. I can't imagine what their family must be going through. His sister, their sisters. Yeah, like, your one son went through this the majority of his life, and then your other son did this. Yeah. After that's the what fact. you have to live with. That, that is so sad and so sickening at the same time. It's disgusting. Wow. That's all I got. Yep. Uh, do we want to somehow add in happy things? Because this case isn't the happiest. And, like, the thing that... Well, the happy part is, is that Stephen and... Timothy. Timothy got out. out. Yeah. Yeah. And did, even though it was a short portion of their lives, did get to live... Right. ...their lives outside of captivity. But I feel like what's disturbing also about this case is the why... Do the people who committed these crimes, minus Carrie, why do these people have such shortened sentences just because they didn't murder someone? Oh, because you held this kid in captivity for seven years and didn't take his life? Like, I wonder if it would be different now. I hope it would. I don't know. I just feel like there are cracks in the justice system sometimes and... It really shouldn't be that way. And that goes for both ends. Like, there's people in jail, like Adnan Syed, that we've been talking about, that shouldn't be there. Right. And then there's people who should be put away a lot longer. And, like, the thing with with Parnell, the guy who kidnapped Stephen, is apparently he had charges in, like, the 1950s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That should have had either red flags thrown up or had him put away for a good amount of time, and then that shit wouldn't have even happened. Yeah. Like, it ruined Steven's life. Yeah. And his family's. Yeah. So, I'm gonna put the interview link 
um, the YouTube link to his story, and then there's a couple other just video links of different news stations that did reports on what had happened. Mm -hmm. I'll put all of those in there for you guys to see. They'll be on our Facebook, along with all of our sources. Yeah. Hope you guys check that out, because that, the stuff we have on there, I know some people have been watching videos that we post and stuff, and it is... It does add it like a puts, little bit more. Yeah. Because as especially when with this case with Steven, mm-hmm. to watch him talking about it and to see his like facial expressions yeah. and just see the words coming from his mouth, it kind of makes the kit yeah, makes the case like hit real. Ho- yeah, yeah, like hit home a little harder. Yeah, and I actually after I listened to like true crime podcasts before we ever started this I would always immediately go and look up pictures mm-hmm. of the people to kind of put faces to a name. Mm-hmm. So we also have all of their pictures on the Facebook page as well, along with the resources and the video links. Right. And we actually appreciate, we've gotten a few requests from people recently of some different cases they want us to cover, yeah. which is awesome. We're so excited. Yeah, we're definitely going to cover those. It might take a little while with what we have planned, but... Especially with the bigger ones, um... Like, the ones that are probably two-part cases. Yeah, we want to get that a little bit Such as the Manson Cole or Adnan Syed's case. Those were pushing off a little bit longer just because we still feel like we kind of have to get in the groove with yeah. certain things. And two-parters are take a lot of time to record. Yeah. So... We're just kind of... We'll get there. Yeah. But we're working on a little bit smaller cases as we start, and we actually got one, a smaller case sent to us that I'm really fucking excited to look into. Okay. Yay. Yeah. Shout out to the person that sent me that. You know who you are. (laughs) (laughs) And on top of that, just to add in there, another reason we haven't covered these bigger cases bigger cases are partly because we also want to bring attention to the cases that maybe didn't get as much media attention or right the the cold cases like Caitlin's that still need to be solved right that haven't maybe people haven't even heard of these cases which I know with Caitlin's case a lot of people said to me after oh my god I had never even heard of that case before right right and that's definitely something, I mean, the cases like JonBenet Ramsey and stuff, cases people have heard time and time again, we kind of want to put off for a little bit longer and just randomly mix them in there. We'll get to them. Don't worry. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Also, I would like to add that thank you for everyone who are like, everyone that's buying our shirts, our stickers. You don't even know how much it means to us. Yeah, and we are so not only grateful, but honestly mind blown by how many have sold already so much support and love I just feel like I don't know it's just crazy that there's just so much support from all ends of everywhere here yeah it's awesome yeah and if you haven't gotten yours already check it out on our Instagram page under the merch highlights tab because these things are selling fast and we're actually already I think more than halfway they're already more than halfway gone and this episode's gonna come out probably in four weeks. Yeah. So, so maybe if, be, <laughs> if not, we were planning on ordering more eventually. So yeah, we'll see. Check them out. Check them out. Yep. And All right. that's it, I think. All right. All right. Every Friday. Till next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Ew. Oh my God. Kels. 
There's a dead fly in my coffee. Here, what? It's fucking nasty. Let me see. <laughs> Cults and Coffee on Instagram and Facebook.